Just Life, a programme from Radio Maria England. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the second part of Through the Seasons. We are joined this morning once again by Patrick McDaniel. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. Good morning, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us once again. Patrick is a professed Norfolk boy, uh, passionate about Norfolk and food. And he came on the radio exactly four months ago to talk about spring and shared with us um, his favourite vegetable, uh, steamed spring greens and his wife Tanya's perfect rhubarb crumble. Um, he tells us what we should be doing outdoors and how to make the most of the nature all around us and what a perfect day to come on the radio. I was complaining to him just now about my rainy bike ride to work, but as an outdoors person, he is just delighted that uh, here in East Anglia, the skies are grey and water is pouring down. I'm sure it's just absolutely what the whole of the country, indeed much of the world, needs at the moment. So, Patrick, um, today you're here to talk to us about summer. Summer in the garden. Summer in the garden. A passion for food, I think, is what we're going to go for. So, yeah, um, this is the second of my talks. And for those that of you that didn't um, uh, manage to catch my first one, uh, the first session was talking about spring and it was talking about my experiences in spring and what, what, what I was doing in terms of my garden and in terms of my interests around and about in Norfolk and Suffolk. So today um, we're going to go on and we're going to talk about the summer. But just by way of background, for those that hadn't listened to my last talk, just to say that, yes, I live in Norfolk. Um, I spend a lot of time in Norfolk and Suffolk. Um, I, I live uh, with my wife, Tanya. I've got four children, of which two are currently currently staying with us. Um, in terms of the other uh, <laughs> um, other things in my life, I've got uh, uh, now got two dogs. Unfortunately, we lost a dog um in early july which was very disappointing for us and we have seven chickens we have 12 ducks now um we have no longer got any geese we had to give them away because they'd become too too aggressive and um we're not really safe to have about the place um but we now have three lambs as replacements so that's our family in in, in norfolk and so i'm gonna go on now and talk about um and build on my uh, previous talk and talk about my passion for food and my way of engaging with nature um, and engaging with nature via that passion for food uh, in terms of the, the way I grow it, I gather it, catch it or shoot it. Um, and via these interests or this interest in, in food and, and the environment, it, it gives me chance to relax, allows me sort of to get closer to nature um, to obtain my own food, which I love, um, which I'm able to provide to my family and where there's surpluses to friends as well. Um, it, and, then, and in terms of myself, this gives me opportunity to think, gives me chance to, to, to contem contemplate life and, and relax. Um, and in this mad world we live in, I think being able to relax is very, very important. So... 
So it's all about seasonality for me and as far as possible, sustainability. Um, that is, we put in what we put in, we take out no, no more than we, we have to take out and we, and we need to take out. So moving on then. So in the springtime, it was all about planting. It was all about preparing soils. It was about putting seeds in the ground directly outside, um, planting things like um, the hardy lettuces, onions, garlic, peas, spinach, etc. In my greenhouse, I've got tender plants such as beans and sweet corn and tomatoes, and they were all planted up in the spring um, to facilitate the um, the summer summer season in anticipation of the summer se uh, season. So we're now in a stage where those things have come to have, have developed, have moved on. Things have come to fruition. Um, so we're now into the, the summer period. We're into June. And the initial stages of the June was actually starting to plant those those tender plants out into the garden. So we had French beans, runner beans have been planted out. Um, a runner bean obviously is a climbing bean. Um, so to, to be able to successfully grow them, we, we required to make a frame. So I had to make a frame in the garden, which the beans will grow up. Um, in terms of planting, it's sometimes not always that simple. You have to, there's a bit of science behind it that helps and facilitates. So as I said, we have a frame for the runner beans to grow up. Sweet corn, I plant my sweet corn out, but it's important to plant sweet corn in blocks of plants as opposed to row, rows of plants. And this comes back to the science of the um, uh, the cross fertilization, which is uh, based on airborne fertilization as opposed to insect based. So by putting the sweet corn in blocks, it enables the um, cross fertilization <coughs> of the plants and hopefully we get a better crop as a result. Um, in terms of courgettes, we planted out courgette plants. Courgettes are hungry plants, so we're planting them with plenty of muck, plenty of compost around them to help them develop. Um, I've planted out leeks. Now leeks, initially we'd planted, they are a hardy plant, and um, I planted seeds in the garden way back when in March. Um, but when we got to June, they're at a, at a point where we have to transplant, and transplanting is is important to facilitate the, the growth of the plant and allowing it to giving it space if you leave it as just a, a line of seeds that everyone's is is too close together um and you're not going to get decent plants and you're not going to get uh, the the growth and and the, the, the you're not going to realize the full potential of the of the leeks themselves so by transplanting we're able to space them out but there's a, a, again a technique that's used so when you 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 pull up your initial your small leeks from your row and then you top and tail them so you cut the top leaves off and you cut the the, the ends of the roots off and trim them and this is all to do with uh, it improves their ability to survive that transition by removing the top top leaves it reduces the amount of water loss while they're developing their new their new root system, etc. So, another piece of a little bit of science. Um, 
we have also planted out curly kale and spring greens and sprouting broccoli and that comes back to as elizabeth said my favorite veg which is next year's spring greens the sprouting broccoli um and they're all out now in the garden growing slowly because of the water requirements etc or lack of water um but they're there uh, and in the greenhouse now i've moved on from growing seedlings and now it's full of tomato plants so that's the beginning of the season and as a result of that we're now into the process of, of harvesting so from from the summer i've been able to harvest a range of different crops from the from the initial planting this spring um lettuce we've had a fantastic supply of lettuce um and lettuce leaves in particular um moving on to sort of moving away rather from growing lettuces and having a lettuce in the in the fridge we tend to cut off the small leaves as they develop so when they're about two or three inches high um, i'll trim the leaves off and we trim the leaves off just above the ground leave the plants in the ground um, and they'll sprout again and as a result of that i've had a continual supply of leaves throughout the summer um by trimming the leaves off and letting them develop and every two to three weeks you have a new supply of leaves on the plants and by having enough plants that allows us to um to have a continual supply of those um peas have been were quite good earlier on because um earlier in the spring it wasn't quite so dry again uh, we've i grow monge two peas um the reason I grow monge too is that um, you have more food potentially from it in that you're eating the pod as well as you are eating the peas. And for those of you that maybe have grown peas in the past, you look like you have a fantastic harvest. You have a bowl of pods. By the time you've potted the peas out of the pods, um, there's there's not actually much there. So by eating the monge too, you have a much, much, much better harvest. So that has, has been quite successful the year. Um, we've had good monge too. We've had fantastic potatoes. I think some of the sweetest potatoes, again, in June they started, that I've had. Um, very, very sweet, beautiful, lovely new potatoes. And obviously my rhubarb has been has continued. We've had garlic, we've had calabri, we've had spring onions, raspberries, fantastic raspberries this year. Um, the sun has really sweetened them up. They have required a little bit of watering, but the the actual result has been a beautiful raspberries that I love on my cereal. I love fresh raspberries on cereal in the morning. Um, and fortunately, I've had enough of a surplus that I've got two and a half to three pounds in the freezer, which I'll make jam with. Um, we've had runner beans and we've had French beans um, this year, but they're not hugely successful this year and there's only one you know reason for it really and that's the fact that we haven't had enough rain and as much as we can water it, there is no real replacement for a decent dousing of rain um other things we've had off the, the garden this year we've had beetroot um i used to grow the red beet but now i've moved on the last couple of years to a golden um, beet um, which I find hugely flavoursome, much, much nicer than the red beet. Um, so if anyone sees it in the shop, whatever, I would recommend trying it. 
or better still, grow it yourselves. The golden beet is very, very flavoursome. Um, it's a it's a firmer it's a firmer beet, um, and it's got a more distinct flavour, but but really gorgeous to eat. Um, and then other than that, we've had some courgettes and the sweet corn. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been feasting on sweet corn and not hugely large cobs, but the flavour has been immense. Um, very very sweet, and again, I think it's down to the sunshine. Um, you know, ensuring that we've got the, the sugars in the in the sweet itself. So summer has been reasonably successful. Um, the problems we've had in the garden is that we haven't had the rain and Norfolk and Suffolk have really suffered, probably one of the worst places in the country for lack of rain. Um, and the result has been that, you know, crops have been down, the yields have been down. Uh, on where I would expect them to be. Um, I have had to water, but as I say, it's it's it, I, I, to a certain extent, I feel a little bit guilty in terms of watering, but it does not replace um, a good a good rainfall. The other, I suppose, the opportunity that the lack of rain provides is that there's been no weeds. Um, that you know the weed growth on the garden has been much much reduced. Um, so there's been less effort required to keep keep the areas tidy in terms of unwanted uh, plant growth. So, you know, there is a, an upside slightly to the lack of rain, but I think I'd prefer to pull weeds than I would um, to have to have to water. So that's sort of where we are with regard to the summer. It's it's been pretty successful, um, although yields are down. Oh, one thing I've forgotten to mention, actually, we've just had a fantastic crop of eating apples, a discovery apple. Um, it's a beautiful dessert apple, which you can eat as an um, a uh, eat as an apple itself or you can cook with. It's a very versatile apple. Its downside is it doesn't last very long. So it has about a three week um, season. So you have a tree and we've currently got it's towards the end now, but we've had a tree completely covered in gorgeous red apples, which we've feasted on and friends have feasted on, but they're coming to the end now. So that's that's my summer in the garden. And before I go on and talk about other things I've been doing, other aspects of life, I think we're going to listen to some music. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Patrick. We're going to listen to Summer from Vivaldi's Four Seasons.
summer from Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Patrick, do you listen to that when you're gardening? Uh, no, I don't listen when I'm gardening. I, I, I do have it on and I'm working in the office. Um, I love it as a, as a piece of music. Uh, the Four Seasons, we've listened to spring and now we've listened to summer. And I do, I was introduced to it as a, um, as a piece of music in my late teens, early 20s. And I've always just found it very, very stimulating and engaging to listen to. Um, but I tend to use it when I'm not outside. I tend to listen to it when I'm inside. If you're outside, there's too much other, there's too much else to listen to. Absolutely. It's, it's nice to tune into the sounds of nature when you're outside. It's exactly. incredibly rousing. Um, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Radio Maria Just Life. We're joined by Patrick McDaniel and he is taking us through the seasons. And today he is talking about summer and he's talked about his garden. And we're going to move on to fishing and foraging. Thanks, Elizabeth. So, yes, I was. Um, so it is about the seasons and it, it is about uh, my interactions and the way that I uh, collect food or forage for food and and. Fishing is a passion that I was introduced to by my my father, who sadly has passed away. Um, but he introduced me to a range of different things and enabled me to to go out and explore the the um, the outside and engage in different forms of fishing. So in the springtime there wasn't much happening, but in the summer it's all started to happen. So. Starting off, you know, I've been fishing and managed to be out fly fishing for trout this this summer, and particularly sort of April May when it's it's at its, its peak season. And I'm very fortunate to be a, to a member of a of a small fishing club where we have a lake and we stock it with trout and we're able to fish for trout. But we have to fish with a fly, so it's fly fishing only. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically uh, a trout is a predatory species and it eats invertebrates and insects and flies. Um, and a fly fishing technique is where you, you imitate a fly, uh, a natural uh, occurring fly, and you try and present it um, to the trout in such a way that the trout will take it um, and will take your hook and you'll catch and catch your trout. So the, the season, it starts in April, but really... The most rewarding part of the year is in May, June, July, when the trout are feeding on flies that are floating on the surface of the lake. So as the um, insects are hatching, they've spent their um, uh, larval stages in the water. They're hatching now to fly and the trout are rising to take them. You imitate a fly on the surface and hopefully the trout will take it and you'll catch yourself some supper. So it's been a reasonably successful year and we've had a few fish. Um, and if I do catch something, it is all about if you catch it, you can eat it. And for me, that's an important part of my life is the ability to provide my own food in that way. So trout in itself, it, we enjoy it steamed, we enjoy it stir fried. But probably my favourite is having it smoked. And uh, at home I have a, a smoker. Uh, and then perhaps another day I'll explain my, how I've created this, the smoker. But I'm able to smoke the trout and uh, produce hot smoked trout, which I then make into a pate um, with cream cheese, lime, garlic, um, and 
uh, salt, pepper, etc. But basically, provide a, it's a really lovely pate, um, which is just fabulous in the summer on toast, a beautiful, lovely, light lunch. So moving on from trout, I've also this year been able to done some some sea fishing and in uh, the early part of the summer was lucky enough to go down to Brighton and and stay with my father-in-law who's just moved down to live on my Brighton Marina and I thought ideal opportunity if I'm going to Brighton Marina it's on the sea I'll take my fishing rod I'll take my snorkeling gear so when I manage it I can get up early in the morning I can slip out of the house and I, I went off uh, fishing with no luck um, I did actually manage to go snorkeling and was much more successful in terms of uh, it, what I was able to, to catch. And uh, I managed to get four spider crabs. Now, a spider crab is a, not typically seen in the UK in a, in a fish market. It's something which is uh, most of the spider crabs here are sold overseas. They're sold to France and Spain. But they're a fabulous um, flavoured shellfish, probably my favourite, better than lobster, better than edible crabs. They are gorgeous to eat. So I was very lucky to be able to, to, to catch a few of those to, to bring home and, and, and feast on. So that was a way and that was in Brighton, which is obviously a long way from Norfolk and Suffolk. But home here, um, fishing has has started um, i'm fortunate to have a little boat and using the boat we're able to get out to sea off the north norfolk coast and off the suffolk coast fishing off north norfolk this year i had three days actually fishing at the end of june beginning of july um, fishing off off north norfolk for um, mackerel and for bass um, mackerel and bass are both predatory fish uh, in respect to mackerel, they're very, very voracious predators. They swim in large shoals um, and they're relatively easy to catch if they're there. Um, and fishing for them, you'll use, uh, we use a, an artificial bait, which is simply a feather tied onto a hook. Um, and they are so, so hungry. Um, once you, if you can get into a shoal of mackerel, You'll fish six feathers, you'll catch six, six, six mackerel. Um, and I think over three days, we, we caught somewhere about 150 different mackerel, um, which was a, quite a successful trip. However, um, any fishing in the UK is controlled um, by sizes and size limits, etc. And to land a mackerel um, in, uh, from the North Sea, it has to be 30 centimetres long. So although we caught all of those, we actually only managed to have uh, about 30, which were of the right size, um, which are, to me, one of the nicest fish to eat. Um, so eating a mackerel for me is ideally it's fresh. It's straight onto a barbecue. So you've caught the fish and it's straight onto a barbecue and and cooked just on the flames and you it provides the most delicious uh, fish meal that I think you could ever have failing that the other thing we do and when we we'd caught 30 I will I will bring home I'll fill it and bring home and then I again I will smoke um, the, the the mackerel fillets and produce smoked uh, smoked mackerel which 
in itself is gorgeous as, as a fillet, but also, again, I will make pate with it as well. So we had quite a successful trip with regard to the mackerel. The other fish I mentioned was bass. Um, and again, bass are predatory. They tend to live in shoals at a smaller size and become more solitary as they get larger. Um, not as easy to catch as a mackerel. Um, again, uh, we fish for them with typically with an artificial bait, which is a, a metal or a plastic imitation fish, which is casted out and, and retrieved back to the boat. So you cast it out, retrieve it back. A bass, again, a very aggressive predator. Um, and if it sees your bait, um, it will attack it. And then attacking it, hopefully we have a result in terms of catching. Um, on our trip to Norfolk, we were successful in terms we caught over the three days, um, 12 bass. Um, but again, very, very strict guidance on, on, on fishing for bass. Not only do they have to be 42 centimetres long in order to be um, taken for, uh, for eating, they also, you're, you're limited also as a, as a fisherman to, or an angler, I should say, to only taking two. So you're restricted. You can only take home two fish per day per rod. So, which is all about sustainability. And it's all about ensuring the, uh, the, the uh, continuation of having that bass fishery available. Um, the other thing that myself and my son will work towards is we will if it's a larger fish so something over five six pounds and you can catch large fish we always return them in our mind they are they are the the breed stock of the future so by returning the larger fish um it it helps to ensure the sustainability of, of that of that stock um in terms of eating filleted skinned bass um shallow fried with a little bit of salt pepper and a little bit of chili served with the new potatoes and the salad for the garden you can't go wrong so yeah we've had some success bass fishing this year my son would argue actually that he's had a lot more than i have and he probably has but i'd say to him i i taught him everything he knows so who knows um but we have a bit of an argument a bit of a banter about that about that um and then Finally, in terms of other things that we've I've, uh, been able to do this summer, again, off North Norfolk, we're very fortunate to have um, the largest chalk reef in Europe. Um, the North Sea typically is very cloudy, is very dirty. Um, it's full of sediment. Um, but for about six, six weeks of the year, the water clarity clears up. And I've swum off North Norfolk, off Sheringham, and I've been in water which... I've never seen, you know, haven't seen any clearer water anywhere in the world. It's it's absolutely gin, gin clear. Um, and so this year have been able to do some free diving, some snorkeling off, off North Norfolk and off on the Chalk Reef. And as much as, you know, it, there's, it's, it's fabulous in terms of the, the life that's there. Um, I actually have managed to catch a couple of crabs as well. Um, to, to bring home and, and eat. And again, looking at it from the point of sustainability, it's if we catch a crab, myself or my son, we would always try, we'd only catch cock crabs, that is male crabs. 
um, it's all about the breed stock. So if we leave the females, we don't take the females, then um, they're there for another day. So for me, crab, dressed crab is just fabulous. But another thing which I've got into in the last couple of years is using the whole of the crab in terms of brown and white meat within the crab to mix and produce a pasta based dish which is with fresh tomatoes garlic olive oil a little bit of parsley um and your and your um and your crab meat and it produces the most fabulously rich um tasty sauce to go with pasta so i suppose in terms of sort of just one other thing which has happened this year regarding fishing which is which is a buzz i get a buzz out of is the fact that um, my son-in-law Joe has done very little fishing in the past, and probably with a little bit of influence from myself and my son, we've we managed to introduce him to fishing. And this year at Christmas, I bought him a new fishing rod. Um, the fishing rod has been used this year, and I took him out bass fishing out of Aldborough in Suffolk um, to test out his new rod. And the success of the trip was actually, he caught more fish than me. He caught larger fish than me and he's really enthusiastic to go again. So it's, it's, it's lovely to share that experience and, and get people involved and get people engaged with, with life, um, you know, away from, from the, the rat race sort of thing. So, so that's where we are with regard to fishing. It's been quite successful in terms of, being able to have uh, food on the table and enjoy the 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 beauty of a of a fresh um, freshly caught fish. Um, foraging, just to sort of conclude this section or this 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 summer period. So foraging has started. It's the beginning of the foraging season for me. Um, the out and about around here in South Norfolk. What's available? Well, blackberries started early, probably linked to the summer, linked to the heat, etc. And I was picking blackberries in early August. Um, these are typically the ones I'm picking, have picked so far, are the, what would be classed as the cultivated variety. So the sort of blackberry that you buy within a supermarket, which are larger, quite tart, but full of, full of flavour. Um, and so far, myself and my wife, Tanya, we've produced... Or, or managed to freeze about six and a half pounds of um, blackberries this year, which obviously will work towards the winter and um, having those wonderful crumbles. But instead of rhubarb, we'll go for the blackberries. Um, other other foraging a little bit. We've had I found some wild plums this year, um, which I'm not certain what they are, but they're very tasty. Um, and the I think sort of going forward, I'm hoping that the the the, the other blackberry crop, so the main in wild blackberry crop, will will potentially improve. Linked to Elizabeth's description of rain this morning, you know we've had rain, and this is the first time uh, that we've had a decent amount of rain for about three months. Um, so that might make a difference because the wild blackberries were looking a little bit sad. They were looking a little bit small and a little bit dry. But potentially, if we have this rain, it might make a might make a difference. So that's the sort of the foraging side of it. That's the fishing side of it. That's my summer so far. 
Um, and I think we're going to play a little bit more music now and, and then come back with some questions. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling hungry. I might have to go for a little snack. <laughs> uh, yes, does anyone have a question for Patrick? Uh, please do call in with any comments or questions. Uh, the number is 01223375564. Oh one. Two two three three seven five five six four. That's our on-air studio live number, and we are going to have a listen to "Walking on Sunshine" from Katrina and the Waves.
That was Walking on Sunshine from Katrina and the Waves. And we do have a question. Um, we have a caller for Patrick. We've got Katie on the line. Katie, you're on air. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Katie. That was just so brilliant. I really enjoyed every second of it. Thank you so much. And um, I do have a specific question. With the summer that we've just had, um, it being so dry and so little rain, is there anything you would recommend planting with next summer in mind? If, you know, this is a recurring theme and we're likely to have uh, less rainfall. Would you think of something in particular that might be a good idea to plant and, and replace from the usual crop? Whew, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I, I, I might have to come back to you on that one. Um, okay. <laughs> I, it's it's difficult to know, isn't it? I, you know, yeah. you, you look at so you're planting things like I've, I'm, I'm it'd be interesting to see, but for example, things like carrots and um, parsnips um, in periods where it's 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 quite dry. If they can get their roots down, they will develop and become bigger and and because they're searching for water, so you'll get right. better. But in terms of you know what's most resilient, um, if I look at uh, look at everything that I've planted, it's it's all really struggle to a certain extent. And I, I think probably yeah. you, we may need to be looking towards you know what's grown in the south of France, what's grown in in other parts of Europe, um, and from there you know decide where it might go. But it's just such an unknown. I think it's it's very very difficult. Um, and at the moment, I wasn't expecting this summer. Um, I'll do some research and perhaps I think I'm coming back later in the year and I'll be able to share the, with you what I've found out. <laughs> OK, no, that, that makes absolute sense to, to follow what the uh, warmer countries are planting at the moment. I will, I will do that. That's a really good idea. And thank you again. That was fascinating. Really enjoyed it. It's taken me away from, you know, the sort of, rainy day outside and I've transported myself to uh, fishing for mackerel in the Norfolk coast so it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. That's all right, it's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much, Katie. For thank you, thank you for your call. Uh, I was Bye. also transported and uh, was just asking Patrick for swimming tips in Norfolk in in the break. We have another caller on on the line. Aileen, you're through to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hi. I enjoyed your listening to you this morning. Um, my question was, I've been in a community of people. That, look, we have chickens. We have 22 chickens. Yes. We did have 22 chickens. We've now got uh, 14 because we, over the last few weeks, we've had badgers attacking. the. We have a number of allotments with chickens, and, and they've gone in and they've more than decimated our chicken population. So it's been quite sad to see. But at yeah. the same time, we're very, we're, I've become very aware of these creatures that are probably starving and very thirsty. And I've wondered, with our local badger population and fox population, under these circumstances, should we be feeding them, do you think? Or do we disturb the ecosystem by doing that? I, I, I would personally say, no, you don't need to be feeding. I don't think you should be feeding. My, this okay. is a personal view. I would not. Um, it is very difficult. Obviously, a the badger is 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 protected yeah um, and you've you know all you can do is exclude um but they are 
they're very, very, you know, a badger is extremely strong. Um, its jaws are extremely strong. So, you know, in terms of the conventional chicken run, which is chicken wire, um, in order to, to, to protect from a badger, it has to be much heavier, heavy duty wire in order to keep them out. Yeah. Um, and also they're, they're great diggers. Yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of digging. Yeah, you, you know, you, and in terms of, I was talking about sweet corn earlier, but um, I know that you know sweet corn is one of their favourite foods. So, if you've got sweet corn on your allotment, they'll have that as well. Um, it's, it is quite, um, you know, they're. But I don't know. I don't think you can. Um, I don't, and I don't think you should, you know, necessarily be, you know, um, you know, intervening. In, in respect of that but you know possibly the best people to talk to about it is your um you know local wildlife trust oh um, yeah yeah you know we've got you know we're in norfolk and suffolk we've got you know you know very active wildlife trusts who would be able to advise with regard to you know what is the best option and i'm sure they give advice on on how you can sort of protect your your uh, chickens as well yeah yeah no, that's good i hadn't thought about doing that thanks very much it's okay. Okay, bye now. Thank you very bye. much, Aileen, for calling in. Uh, if anyone else has a question, the number is 01-223-375-564. Maybe a question about Norfolk, about gardening, about fishing. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Um Aileen mentioned feeding the badgers and uh, kind of leads quite well into my next question because my landlord is a bit of a St. Francis of Assisi and he feeds all the local animals, pigeons, stray cats. He leaves food out for foxes, although last night I have to confess I saw another cat uh, sniffing the fox's food, so I'm not sure who actually gets that. Um, But in the garden, there are a lot of fruit trees, uh, small ones, but they're absolutely laden with apples and pears. And one of them I noticed has fallen over and and snapped. Uh, I think that's a lack of a lack of care. Should fruit trees be propped up? Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would certainly if I've got a um, um, if you've got a, a, a branch or a, you know a limb on the on the tree that's um, laden with fruit give it some support um and in particular in this dry season you know it's going to it, potentially i think it will impact on the supple, subtlety of 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 the tree itself um so you know i've seen it done in orchards where people will you know prop that that limb up and and support it to to avoid it breaking because if you think you know if, if, a, if a limb has got sort of a couple of you know a couple of hundred apples on it that's a lot of weight in addition to what it would normally hold. So, yeah, support it. Okay, I think we need a bit a bit of gardening help in, in our garden. Um, I've got another caller, and I'm going to put them straight on air. Hello, you're okay. through to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. It's Charles here. Fantastic. Hello, Charles. Yeah, and actually, the fishing you, you've got you've got me hooked. So here I am, a complete urbanite, no idea. How, how do I get into, if I wanted to get into fishing, especially living in Cambridge, how do I get in? What do I do? What do you do? You need to meet someone like me, or probably better still, meet someone like my son, Angus. <laughs> um, 
it, it there are there are lots of different associations so there's lots of the the environment agency um who oversee inland fishing in the uk they they organize sort of uh taster days and things and a lot of angling clubs uh around and about the country will also do that sort of thing so probably i would say is go online look, google you know um taster fishing sessions look at the go to the environment agency look up their advice pages and they all of those you know you'll you'll find opportunities in your local area to be able to go and have a go um you know you know i as i've said if anyone is interested i would always give an opportunity i would take them out and show them what it's all about and i think the majority of anglers that i know um would welcome that opportunity one to share their knowledge but two to to share their enthusiasm for angling in in the hole that is you know it, it isn't just about catching fish it is about being at one with nature it is about being out and about in in the in the wide open spaces etc and just enjoying uh being there as opposed to you know um looking at it from afar so you become part of it and i think so yeah look up local angling clubs um i'm sure in cambridge if you typed in cambridge angling uh there may well be an angling club um yeah. or the environment agency yeah i i, mean, I agree completely a wonderful opportunity for contemplation so that, that is yeah. now an ethical question you know you said you're your, your, your fish, your bass has to be about 42 centimetres. So let's say you get a, a, a bass that's 41.3 centimetres. Actually, do you have a measuring rod on your, on your boat? Yeah, have I have a, a, um, I have a, a stick-on uh, ruler which right. has, the, um, has it all defined on it. So it is important to stick to it. It's there for a reason. You know, bass as a species actually is very slow-growing. Right. Um, it doesn't reach maturity, um, and I, I can't remember the exact date, but it's 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 years old. It's much longer than other species. So the reason that 42, which actually in comparison to a lot of other uh, food fish species is, is quite large, is because it's so slow growing and it doesn't reach maturity until um, later in life. So um, it is very important to stick to that rule. And in my mind, yes, it's a 42 limit. That's That's what they would say it must reach before you can consume it. But as I said during my, during my talk earlier, um, we also, myself and my son and other people, other fishermen we know, if you look at it from the point of view of the, the best breeding stock are the larger fish, um, the really large fish, so sort of 60 to 70 centimetres long. If you're catching something like that, then yeah. you put it back because that is a massive chunk of uh, of breeding opportunity for the future yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway pat thank you so much it's been a really educational talk so i've really enjoyed it thank you Good. Thank, thank you, you charles for your question it connected also to a thought i had about this sustainability charles asked about the length of the fish and you'd said earlier that if you know you could only take home two fish a day i'm wondering is that enforced and does everyone obey those rules is it enforced? It is. Um, how well it's enforced is debatable. Um, there are, it depends where you go. Certainly in North Norfolk, um, there's quite an active, the 
fisheries regulatory organization which is the inshore fisheries committee and they manage fisheries and they have officers out and about on 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 the beaches and on boats monitoring what's going on so there there it is enforced um that the level of enforcement does vary from from area to area and in terms of do people stick to it i think the majority of anglers are responsible people um and they do stick to those rules because they they understand that actually if they take more than they should they're spoiling their future sustainability is is all about um you know you're not taking out more than can be um, put back in and a sustainable fishery requires there is an amount of fish that can be taken which it can be sustained take more than that and you start to to reduce the ability of that fishery to reproduce and to continue so as i say i think the majority of anglers that i know are very responsible in terms of of what they do um a couple of nights ago i cycled home past i thought it was a, a fish and chip van but it was a it was a fresh fish van and i've never purchased from a fresh fish van but uh, would you recommend doing so or are they are they pirate fishermen or or is that just a way for you know the traders to get their their fish fresh fish inland um I, I, the the fish van has become quite popular um you know conventionally it was a fishmonger on the high street and then the supermarket took over um but certainly working out of of lowestoft um and well lowestoft and other fishery fish ports there are you know a lot of people that do and do run fish vans um and you know it the fish would have been purchased through a fish market and the fish market is very regulated by the um you know, Ministry of, of DEFRA, Department for Agriculture and Fisheries. And so there is a control. So the fish that's on that market, on that market stall, should have come from a, a registered fish market. And as such, it should, you know, it's it's fine to use. Um, you know, we increasingly we see pop-up, you know, stalls, don't we, of all sorts. Um, so it, it it's another way for people to, to access um you know fish and food etc so i i wouldn't have a problem with it okay brilliant um, next time next time i'm going to give it give it a try and i have to confess i scribbled down your um pasta sauce crab meat recipe so uh so, i'll be giving that a go and if anyone any listeners so, uh, want to have it do you just email us and I'll, I'll send it out to you and uh we look forward to catching up another four months time will be round about december and yeah. um, I'm not sure what you'll have to talk about at that time, um, but we're looking very, very much looking forward to it. And okay. if anyone um, has wants to listen to Patrick's spring edition and also today's, they will be available as podcasts. So you can catch up with them at any time. And thank you, Patrick, so much for your time this morning. It's been very, very enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you.